Worldwide parent coach and conscious educator, Sue DeCaro, is on a mission to revitalize the joy in parenting. Welcome to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids, a podcast designed to help parents all over the world create deeper connections with themselves and their children while overcoming life's daily parenting challenges. Listen in if you want to bring more laughter, love, and enjoyment to your home life. Welcome to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids, a place for all things parenting. I am your host, Sue DeCaro. I am thrilled to introduce my special guest, Natasha Daniels. Natasha is an anxiety and OCD child therapist and a mom to three kids with anxiety and OCD. She is the creator of the site AT Parenting Survival and the YouTube channel, Ask the Child Therapist. She also hosts the weekly show, the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. She has authored several books, including Anxiety Sucks, A Teen Survival Guide, and How to Parent Your Anxious Toddler. She provides direct help to parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD with her online classes. Her work has been featured on various sites, including Huffington Post, Child Mind Institute, and The Mighty and Scary Mommy. Natasha, first, thank you so much for all you do in the world and for joining us for this episode. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So we can both agree, I'm sure, that parenting is both rewarding and challenging, probably one of the hardest things we'll ever do, right? Definitely. (laughs) So why we're trying to do this each and every day in the world we're in right now, anxiety levels are just continuing to go higher and higher. Many children and families are struggling with anxiety. And virtual learning is also impacting anxiety in our children. Can you talk a little bit about how you see that? Because you're, of course, the expert. Yeah, I mean, I think anxiety in general is having a huge uptick, which is completely not surprising in the world that we're living in right now. So um, I think overall, parents, we're seeing our, our kids being anxious. And then I think we're getting more anxiety and OCD diagnoses because um, you know, there's a lot of stressors that are going on in the world that even if you had a you know, pre-existing condition or a genetic predisposition to have these things, they're definitely more likely to sprout up right now. And you mentioned going into online learning. That's just a different ball of wax for so many kids who you may not have a history of anxiety, but, you know, the technology and being on camera and having these expectations to pace yourself, like there's just so many elements that are happening around just that alone. For some kids, it may be fine. They can manage it just you know, with ease and other children really are struggling with it. So let, let's talk about what anxiety looks like because many parents may be listening saying, well, I don't know, does my child really have anxiety? Can you share a little bit about what a definition of anxiety and OCD would look like in a child? Yeah, the signs of anxiety will look different. Like, in general, it's having a more extreme reaction to something that maybe other kids might find stressful, but they're like debilitated. So mm-hmm. if I am having somatic issues, so my child is anxious, but they're anxious to the point where they are getting stomach aches or headaches, or they're starting to panic, can't breathe. Those are, those are signs of anxiety. Or if there's a pattern to it. So it's not like just I'm having a hard day but every time I have to have that Zoom call, I'm hiding under the table or I'm having a stomach ache before I have to do it. 
Um, so you're looking for those physical symptoms. You're looking for a pattern uh, because right now is a weird time. And so kids are going to have anxious moments. They're going to have anxious days just like we do as adults, but it's that consistency. It's that pattern. And um, a lot of times it's even behaviorally and, and physically it's showing up. Mm, absolutely. So when a parent sees signs like this and they start to worry that their child is really suffering from anxiety and every day, let's say, you know, they see some, some reaction, some behavioral pattern, what would you suggest they do? What, what can they do themselves to help their children through that day? in that moment when things are getting out of hand? Yeah, a lot of times we, we like kind of swoop in and we want to fix it. And so we'll, we'll see what the, the trigger is. And then intuitively, as a parent, we want to just re reduce or minimize the trigger. So if you're having a hard time doing something, then I'll just do it for you. Or if you're afraid of this, then I'll, I'll just go with you. Um, or if you're having a problem, with the teacher, I'll just email the teacher. And for those short one-off problems, that's fine. But when you're seeing this pattern of, of anxiety around certain themes, we want, we want to engage our child because we want to develop lifelong skills. And I don't want to assume that I know what the problem is because that might be a symptom of something bigger. So I always like to ask kids, my own kids, I have three kids with anxiety and two with OCD on top of it. You know, I like to say, what's the worst part of, you know, and it seems a bit cheesy and simplistic, but it's crazy how I get so much more information. And in my, even my therapy practice, when I ask kids, what's the worst part of, because more often than not, I was really not getting the full picture. Um, sometimes with my kids, they'll throw me a curveball, and it's completely not what I thought. Cause I'll think, Oh, I know exactly what your anxiety theme is. I know what your trigger is. What's the worst part of just doing my due diligence here. And then my daughter, especially my youngest one will throw a curveball and she'll be like, well, I'm afraid of, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I had no idea. So we don't want to assume that we know exactly what our child is having an anxiety issue about because it might be something totally different. I'll give you an example. My son, when we first started back in March doing Zoom calls, uh, you know, I knew he had social anxiety and I knew that the camera was going to be a hard thing for him. But when I would go past the computer, I would see that like the computer screen was like, all you could see was the top of his head. And this was a new teacher. It was a new class. It's actually a new school. And I thought, that's going to look so weird. You know, and I have social anxiety. So, of course, that's triggering for me. Like, you're going to be the weird kid before you even get into the school, you know. And I was assuming it was because, you know, I, I kind of put myself in his shoes. And I just assumed, well, I wouldn't want to be on camera either. I had a hard time with Zoom when I first came into the online world. He just doesn't want to be seen. And so I would kind of knock the screen back and like show his face and he'd knock it back again. They had to be on camera. And then eventually I kind of followed my own advice and I said, what's the hardest part about being on camera? Assuming I know exactly what he's going to say, because this is what I do for a living. And I know my kid. And he said, I don't want to get in trouble because if she sees my mouth moving, then she's going to um, yell at me. And you guys walk past and you ask me questions and my mouth is moving all the time. So if she could just see the top of my head, <laughs> then I feel better. I wow. did not see that coming. It yeah. was totally not what I saw coming. And so we were able to problem solve in a better way. I didn't move into like, let's talk about social anxiety. Let's create a challenge ladder where you slowly expose yourself more and more to the Zoom. We were able to say, let's 
stop having your sisters walk behind you and I won't talk to you during the times I know you're on Zoom. And his screen eventually went back to the normal position. Beautiful. I, I love that story because we do think as parents, we know everything, right? We yeah. know everything. I mean, parents and professionals. And yeah. we, we really don't know what's going on in some moments in our children's lives and with their anxiety and their fears and, and the way they try to navigate. And so what a beautiful way to honor a child by not fixing it, but really diving in to find out what the core is that they're experiencing. And then you can even take it a step further, you know, and perhaps you do this as well with what can we do to shift that? I mean, it's, it's so fantastic, in my opinion, when it's the child, too, that helps come up with a solution for themselves. And, you know, obviously everybody around them being quieter can help them to hopefully at one point, you know, put the screen down. So I, I think, you know, parenting doesn't mean fix. It does right. not, it's not synonymous with, synonymous, uh, with fixing <laughs> yeah. the problem. It just is about ushering and guiding our children in a beautiful way to help them wherever they are, right? Yeah, and it is really such a gift that we can give them long-term to step back, sit with our own discomfort, and let them problem solve their own solutions. Because even in therapy, when I sit back and I think I have brilliant ideas, you know, I'll say, I know exactly how to fix this, but I know over two decades of doing that or trying not to do that, that it's not as effective. It doesn't stick. You know, we don't learn from someone telling us what to do. We learn from problem solving and developing our own solutions. So we can gift that to our kids by sitting there and saying, what do you think are some ways that you can fix this? Or what are some ways that you can work through your fear? And it's a, it's a messier, longer process, but long-term it is building that resiliency and building those skills. Yeah. And then the child is believing more in themselves by having the ability to, to collaborate with the parent and coming up with solutions to their own problems. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the self-efficacy aspect of it, of I can fix myself um, is huge. And not to keep talking about my kids, but you know, my little one who's eight, you know, that, that became really obvious yesterday um, she was having a problem going back to school. They're back at school, probably temporarily. And she really wanted to go. And so I'm like, okay, we'll go. And she has a history of the fear of throwing up. She has anxiety. She has OCD. It's very much school-based, very triggering. And um, the first day back, I had to sit back and just say, like, what are your, we call them green thoughts. What are your green thoughts? You know, instead of swooping in and being like, you're going to be fine. You always are fine. Those accolades that we can throw at our kids, which seem totally intuitive parentally, they don't stick. And so, and, and it, it makes me very uncomfortable not to swoop in and just cocoon her with my words and my arms and just say, you're going to be fine. But she needed to work through it. And so she did. And then yesterday she was coming home. We're in week two, day one of week two. And she said, I said, how was your day? Because I feel like she's been doing really well. She's like, it was a really good mom. But, you know, I started to have a panic attack and, you know, my heart kind of sank because we had like school refusal and major anxiety issues. And I tried to be upbeat and I said, you had a panic attack? How did that go? You know, kind of assuming she had a panic attack. And she said, no, I thought I was having a panic attack. And then I said to my brain, no, you don't. Not today. <laughs> and I was like, that's brilliant. 
Oh my gosh, she must have watched your YouTube uh, episode on uh, panic attacks. <laughs> she didn't. She was actually my muse. Like that, like that uh, spurred that episode because of what she did that day, the first day of school. I was so like enamored by her, but that didn't come naturally. That was not her. That was that was fostered and developed from toddlerhood, where I didn't swoop in and I didn't save her and I didn't help her avoid. I like you know you find that balance where you're not throwing them into the deep water and just watching them not, you know, swim, but it was helping her find her own solutions. So as you're helping find their solutions with them or helping them find their own solutions, you're also empathetic. You're with them. You're, you know, comforting. You're not, not stepping into the valuing of whatever it is they're feeling. So what I mean by that is you are valuing their feelings and emotions in those moments just not trying to take them away from them, which yeah. many of us do because as you mentioned earlier, we become uncomfortable with these big emotions, these big feelings for, that our children are having. They make us uncomfortable. And then we start to teach them. Is that not right? That these are something to be uncomfortable about. Yeah. And that's such a good point that I'm glad you brought up because either extreme is really not helpful. So, you know, when we have a sink or swim approach or maybe even a more disciplinary and authoritative approach, that doesn't work for anxiety. When we have a two coddling approach where we're over empathizing, we're over identifying, we're crying with them, that doesn't work either. And so it, it is a very difficult sweet spot to find, but such a critical one to say, I love you and I know this is hard and I'm so sorry that you're having a rough time. Um, we don't wanna swing way over to the empathy side where we're crying with our kids, but we wanna be that rock, that empathetic rock where, and that's what I did with my daughter last week. You know, I'm so sorry that you're having a rough morning. And she was like physically shaking. And, you know, and I said, this is your choice, you know, because I honestly didn't know if, you know, it was a good idea. And she's just feisty, thank goodness. And she said, no, I'm gonna go. I'm not letting my O-Cloud beat me this time because she knows she's been well-trained. But it was also letting her sit with her discomfort and saying, um, it's okay to feel nauseous. You know, it's okay to feel shaky that those are feelings. You're not having a medical emergency, but they're not gonna go away for a while. And it's okay to feel scared. So validating their feelings, while then also kind of prompting, um, what are the thoughts that you can tell yourself is important because so many of our anxious kids and so many of our anxious parents wanna get rid of the symptoms of anxiety. You know, we're gonna gauge how successful we are based on the fact that you're not feeling nauseous anymore or that you're not feeling like you wanna avoid or that you're not feeling panicky. And accepting those feelings and sitting with them, validating them and saying, yes, you feel this. And how do we still move forward? Even though I know that it's really hard. It's beautiful. You mentioned green thoughts. It's a green thought. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I'm a visual person. And so I try to try to make everything visual when I talk to kids with anxiety and OCD. So it really is just a visual of cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, our kids have red thoughts. These are anxious thoughts and that we want to kind of reframe them with a green thought. And it's not, I have this red thought that says, um, you know, I might throw up at school. That's a really common one for kids with anxiety disorders. And the green thought isn't, well, I love rainbows and butterflies. You know, they're not, they have to be congruent, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's reframing that. Well, that might happen. And sometimes I, I really like kids to accept the worst case scenario instead of, um, trying to tell themselves things won't happen. I'd rather have kids be resilient and say, 
well, if that did happen, especially for things like that, some of those anxiety themes, we would want to use that approach for. But what's the green thought? You know, I can go to the nurse or, you know, if people want to make fun of me, then they're not my good friends. And do I want people who are my friends who are going to make fun of me if I throw up? I mean, the likelihood of this is small. I haven't thrown up before, but if it did, could I handle it? Yeah, I can. So those are green thoughts. I love that. I love that. I, I will never think of red and green in, in the same way. Thank you for sharing that because I think the visual is so powerful. And, you know, for the, those of our audience that's listening, I think that power will also stick with them is, you know, hold on to the red and green thoughts in a way to help your child see both sides, you know, reframe. Reframe is so important and so powerful, I think, in this work that you do the work that I do, you know, and just parenting in general. It's yeah. uh, enormous. So how do parents play a role in the anxiety that our children hold? Well, we can play a positive role or we can play a negative role. And that, that really is up to us. Um, a lot of times I think we blame ourselves too much. And so we take too much ownership. And I know, um, you know, when you're anxious yourself, a lot of times parents will come to me and they'll say, I created this or it's my fault. And I think, I think it's important to know there's a, a very strong genetic component to anxiety. And so just because we have anxiety in our bloodline, um, it doesn't mean that we created this minus the genetics in our kids. And then, you know, our kids can get diabetes or asthma, you know, we don't control our genes, but it's what we do. How do we show up for the rest of their life? That really matters. And we can show up in a coaching supportive role where we are not going to over accommodate, but we're going to be sympathetic. We're going to be validating and we're going to coach them through it and develop those lifelong skills. Or we can over identify and we can say, I remember I felt the same way. And so, you know, I think that we should just not do that. That was stressful for me at that age. And I wish that I didn't have to do it. And so we're not going to do it together. And unfortunately, anxiety is a hungry beast. And so when you feed it with avoidance, it wants more and more. And sometimes depending on how acute it's going to get clinically, it can be very debilitating. So, and it hits the self-esteem. So we don't want to over identify to the point where we are trying to cocoon our kids. So it's, it's playing coach. And then just on the flip side of the spectrum, we have parents who, who can get angry, who can not understand it, who can think it's behavioral or manipulation and be very punitive. I can like punish them out of this. You know, if you don't go to school, then good luck with the electronics. You're not going to have anything. And we're not really addressing, we're not teaching skills and punishment will not work on anxiety. Um, anxiety will trump punishment any day of the week. I hear you. What, what would you say um, in terms of parents modeling ways that they, you know, modeling is such a powerful process in the parenting realm, in, in any realm, but definitely parenting. And so, you know, if we do have issues with anxiety ourselves as parents, and, you know, our children do too, and as you said, it's a genetic component, how can we help ourselves to be the best models? for our children and how we cope? I love that question because that is so important. And I think that's, that's a piece that I think most parents don't even have on their radar that we have, we have something we can also offer to our kids because I mean, if you have a genetic, if you have an anxiety disorder, which the apple doesn't normally fall far from the genetic tree, you can model 
um, you don't have to commiserate, but you can model resiliency with your kids and you can show them how you're showing up for your own anxiety in a way that's really helpful and productive. And even if you don't have an anxiety disorder, you can still model how you're handling difficult situations. Um, and I do that all the time with my kids. They are very aware that I have a social anxiety disorder and they're aware how it shows up because I hide it very well. And so um, I'm, I'm a, I make it a point to tell them things, but I have intention when I tell them, you know, there's, there's a story at the end of it. So I'm not, I'm not using them as my confidant. We're not, you know, commiserating together like, oh my gosh, yeah, let's just not, let's neither of us go because it's a nightmare for me and you, you know, if I'm going to leave the house, right? <laughs> yeah. And we would all be happy. I mean, this pandemic, there is a silver lining in that in my social anxiety ridden house. We're like all doing happy dances on that end, but I'll be vocal about that, you know, and I'll talk about the need for us to kind of flex those muscles. And if I share something with them, um, a while back before all this was going on, it was like pajama day last school year and my kids were all wearing their pajamas. And I don't know why this happened, but I scheduled a dentist appointment and a pediatrician appointment the same day. And so I had to take them and I said, why don't you just change out of your pajamas before we go? Social anxiety. And my kids were like, no, mom, you know, that's your social anxiety or whatever. And I set a challenge for myself. Like, I'm not going to tell the dentist that it's pajama day. You know, I'm just going to let them think I'm one of those people, you know, we're like, Hey, my kids didn't want to get into their clothes today. And you know, who cares that they're like seven and nine, <laughs> you know, they're going to wear pajamas. And I didn't say anything as a, you know, to purposely sit in discomfort. But then at the end of the day, I made sure to come around and tell them that was really hard for me. And I made, I made a challenge in my head to not say anything to the dentist. And I let them assume things that made me uncomfortable so that I could get over my own social anxiety. So modeling those kind of things is helpful. And now my kids can spot that. And then they're more communicative too. And they do challenges more on their own because they see that their mom's doing it. Wow. That is a heck of a story. That is so beautiful. And I, I love the intentionality of modeling. And I think in every way, shape, and form, even you know, outside of anxiety or social anxiety, we need to be the models for our children and how we move through our own lives, our own triggers, our own anger, our own frustration, and you know, our own fears of what people might be saying because they're kids in our PJs. And that is a powerful process for our children to learn when we are intentional. I mean, I love the fact that you brought up, they're not, you know, our buddies were sharing and helping each other together, crying and, you know, never leaving the home because that can happen in some families. So parents who are trying to model for their children, whether they have a disorder or just, you know, generally trying to move things that move through things that make them uncomfortable, anger, fear, whatever it might be. What are the best techniques to use that you might suggest? I mean, if you had like three suggestions for parents. Uh, you know, as you're talking, I was thinking like intention is so good, um, but also life is messy. And so I think having intention, like when you're noticing that you're facing a challenge and you can use this as a way to model for your kids, you know, wrap it up in a nice bow and share that story with them. But there's a lot of messy middle that that we all live in and i'm definitely no mother Teresa, and i have ugly moments just like every human being on this planet and i think that we forget that those are also huge learning opportunities that um coming back afterwards because we're all going to have those moments and 
And if you have anxiety or if you're anxious or you're stressed, you're going to have more of those because that's just a byproduct of that. And our kids do too. Our kids with anxiety have more behavioral issues because they need an outlet and normally it oozes into difficult behavior. So you can go back and I have done this unfortunately a million times <laughs> where I'll say, you know, I'm sorry this morning was really ugly. Like I was out of control, you know, and I'm sorry that I barked at you and, you know, pushed you into the car to like hurry up. And, um, and then I yelled at you for something that you were like making noises in the background. I was having, I was feeling overwhelmed because I have a really busy schedule and um, I was running late, whatever it is. But I think the point is that it's never too late to go back, circle around, highlight that you're human and say that, that you apologize. And I normally, we do actually like a, a visual in my house. I haven't done this in a while. I should need to do it more, but where we say where we're at with our hands. Right. And so like, if I, the higher up towards my head, I go, the worse I'm probably going to act, you know, it's like we get to the head, to the top of the head and then we explode. So sometimes I'll say to my kids, I'm here and I'll visually kind of cue them. Like I'm at my neck or I'm at my nose. And so that they know, okay, mom's not okay. And I'll say, it's not you. It's me. I'm having a stressful day. I'm having, my anxiety is not okay right now. Um, and, and it's good for you guys to give me some space. So when we model that our kids will start using their hands, they'll start to say, and my little kids will start saying, I need some space, you know, <laughs> they'll model it. those words. Yeah. I love it. And, and we have to communicate it because otherwise it gets stuffed. Kids yeah. actually can detect in my work and my opinion, kids can detect our energy even when we don't share it. So in the morning, when you were having a rough time, they were picking up on it. They were aware that something was going on. Maybe they thought it was them. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they knew exactly what was going on and you didn't. Or you weren't you know, connecting to it. And I, I also agree, the ownership of our own stuff, we'll call it, is so important for, for them to learn also to own their stuff, but also for them to see us aware of the stuff that we're leaving all over the place we have to clean up our mess, right? I mean, we're cleaning up our emotional mess and whatever else it looks like so that we can show them that we take responsibility and we see it's important. And then they learn that too. Those are, I think, huge life skills. Yeah, yeah. Building up that emotional intelligence is so important and talking about it. We're going to have a family where we talk about these things so that you're not going to grow up stilted and not being able to communicate or thinking that it's all okay only if you're perfect. Yeah, it's not Which, true. A lot of us who are now grown adults have grown up in that environment yeah. where, you know, perfectionism is, you know, an anxiety related to that is a huge issue. Right. Wow. Wow. I, I could talk with you all day long. So what, tell our listeners a little bit about where they can find you. I shared at the beginning some of the work that you're doing, but you know, there's so much to what you offer families. So would you mind sharing where they can find you and learn from your wonderful wisdom? Sure. Well, I live at atparentingsurvival.com. So that's kind of the hub. If you want to find my YouTube channel and my podcasts, um, I post those on my website. And I have an online school where I like make classes for parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD. And that's atparentingsurvivalschool.com. So those are like the, the two main areas that you can find me and my work. Awesome. Last question I have for you is how do your kids feel about the work that you're doing? In the world, I'm just curious. Um, you do know, they I think understand. Do they understand that you are actually working in this world to help other parents and children? 
They do um, because I work a lot, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, and my, my eight-year-old actually the other day gave me a big compliment because she said, I'm so glad that I have you as my mom because like you're the expert in this and you're going to help me through it. So I feel like there is, there is an understanding and there's a, there's a pride that I see my kids having in um, vocalizing their own anxiety and OCD and educating other people because I frequently touch base with them and say, is it okay I share these stories? Because I know as they get older, they might have a different opinion about it. And I see that they're taking their own ownership and, and that makes me proud of them. Mm -hmm. And it's such a beautiful thing for you to be helping families and experiencing, I mean, not that you, you know, wanted this, but experiencing this at the same time and being able to bring so much hope based on all the things that you do in your own life that you see working fabulously and helping your children and supporting your children in, in their growth. That must bring so much hope to the clients and people you work with. Yeah, I think it's nice to know that someone is in the trenches with you. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better than knowing she's not just talking from a textbook, but she's going to go home and she's going to deal with this too. Right, right. And you can relate. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared and sharing your family with us as well and all your expertise. And I hope our listeners will look at your website and learn more about you that way. And thanks yeah. again for joining thanks me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. Remember, every moment is a new moment for Conscious Connections. Thanks for listening to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.